Today we're going to be talking about a very important topic, but all topics about the Bible are very important, right? But we're going to be talking about the fall of man, and more importantly, how it separates us from God. So we're going to be talking about separation from God, how that came to be, and what the solution is for that. Go ahead and open to Genesis chapter 3. We'll be reading from verses 1 through 7. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. We're going to, sorry, we're going to read 7 and 8 as well. Then the eyes of both were open, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloth. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees in the garden. As we've been studying through the first two chapters of Genesis, we see that God had a plan. He designed all that exists with the conclusion of creation being humanity, mankind, his most important creation, a creation to stand separate from all others. We've learned that mankind did not descend from animals as many uh, tend to teach and believe nowadays, but they were molded and crafted by God in a very specific way. Not only that, but they were given a breath of life from God. We were created in God's image and His likeness to reflect His character in the world. But as we're going to read today in Genesis chapter 3, that didn't last very long. There was something that happened, something that brought catastrophic consequences to humanity. That is, Adam and Eve sinned and they disobeyed God's word. I want to read you a quote really quickly. That will make a little bit more sense as we go. And this is from, it says, true justice is love. It says, for decades I've tried to meet people where they hurt. I've preached and desired to see justice for all. And I still fervently believe in it. God loves justice and wants his people to seek justice. But I've come to understand that true justice is wrapped up in love. The old time preacher A.W. Tozer had a way of making the most profound truths simple and palatable. He once said, God is love, and just as God is love, God is 
justice. That's it. God's love and justice come together in the redemptive work of Jesus Christ, and we can't be about one and not the other. They're both inextricably connected. And this is from John Perkins. As we're going to read chapter 3, we're going to realize something and see something about God, and that is that God is a just God. God is also a loving God. And you can't disconnect the two. God gave a command of what was to happen and what was to be obeyed. For our first point this morning, we're going to talk about sin is disobeying God's word. The command was very specific to Adam. In Genesis 2, verse 16 and 17, God gave Adam instructions. And the Lord God commanded the man, Adam, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Very simple command. As we read in chapter 1 and 2, right? That's why it's important to have the context of chapter 1 and 2. God had created everything to perfection. There was nothing that men lacked. There was nothing that they needed. They were hungry. They had every tree and fruit to eat out of. All the animals got along. They didn't have to worry about being attacked. There was safety, provision. And there was a simple command that God gave. Out of this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. And it came with a promise, right? If you do eat, you will surely die. Now, many of us can put ourselves, try to put ourselves in their place. And be like, man, that's, that's easy. Just don't eat from that tree. Obviously, we all know what was man's response, right? What was their response to this command? Did they obey it or disobey it? Disobeyed it. We read in Genesis 3, 1 through 6, how this came to be, as we just read. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? What did God really say? Do you guys remember? We just read it. Did God say do not eat of any tree in the garden? No. What did he say? What's that? Of every tree except that one, right? So now, here's where the deception starts coming in. Verse 2, And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, notice she is quoting God, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Did God say that? No, he didn't say anything about not touching it. So we continue already with the crumbling of what God actually said. 
Verse 4, but the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. What did God say was going to happen? You shall surely die. For God knows that when you eat of, of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So the serpent is twisting God's word. He's rejecting God's word. He's saying, no, he said you're going to die. He lied. Duh. It's not that. It's not going to be that bad. And then we see the conclusion of what happens when we don't know God's word. We don't know his commands. When we ourselves twist God's word and when we reject what God has said in his promises. Verse 6. So when the woman saw, what did the woman see? That the tree was good for food. But she had all the other trees that were perfect for food. And it was a delight to the eyes. And that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. You think God made Adam and Eve ignorant? You think he made them dumb? No, he made them perfect. But here Eve is being deceived. So what did she do? She took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. So the disobedience of Eve and of Adam came because of the temptation Satan designed for Eve. Yesterday, uh, Pastor Blakey was preaching in the men's camp, I mean, uh, the men's breakfast, talking about how Satan is like a roaring lion, seeking to whom he will destroy, and never stopping in designing ways to tempt us for us to fall. Started in the garden, continues to this day. So what is temptation? A simple definition for this is that it's an attractive invitation to sin based on the lie that disobedience will bring happiness. Again, if we think to the times that we've sinned in our life, we made that decision to sin because in our mind, we thought it was going to be beneficial. We thought it was going to bring happiness. We thought it was going to fulfill some kind of desire, some kind of need that we were missing or we thought we were missing. Eve, what was she missing in the garden? Nothing. What was Adam missing in the garden? Nothing. But in their mind, at least in Eve's mind, she thought she needed more wisdom. A good way to see this word here that she desired to make one wise, or, or that she saw that the tree was good and desired it, this temptation that was brewing up inside of her, Another way to look at it is, is you're being tempted, you're being enticed, or you're being dragged away 
from what you think is right. It's conceived of as drawing a heavy object out of something with great effort. And that's what that's, the temptation is designed to do. It's designed to drag you away from the truth. Drag you away from the satisfaction. Making you think that you're missing something. As we've spoken before, none of us understand what perfection is. We've never lived in a world that's perfect. We don't have a perfect world. And so for us, it, it's even harder to imagine this. But just remember everything at the fingertips of Eve and Adam was perfect and designed specifically for them. But this temptation that Satan built up was strong enough to drag them away from the truth, drag them away from the command of God, and to go into disobedience and disobey His Word. The devil will question God's Word. Did God really say? The Bible does, does the Bible really say that? Does it really talk about Does God really want you to live that kind of life? And then it happens with our lack of knowledge of the Word of God. Eve twisted it, added into it. And then it comes with rejecting God's promises. God promised, you shall surely die. And the devil will try to convince you that, no, what God said, that's not really what he meant. God lied. You can just disobey. It's, everything's going to be okay. I want to share an example with you from the Bible. You guys heard of King David before? If you haven't, you're going to hear about him this morning. So David, the king of Israel, we know he fell into sin in a disastrous way. One of the most well-known is him and Bathsheba. He committed adultery with her. We find that in 2 Samuel 11, 1 through 4. I want you to go ahead and read with me, please. And we're going to see how it's the same playbook that Satan used in the garden with Eve. He continues to use that same playbook, even with David. And hopefully you start realizing that it might be the same playbook that he's using with you today in 2023. Why? Because of temptation, right? It is an attractive invitation to sin based on the lie that disobedience will bring happiness. So let's see how David did. 2 Samuel 11, 1 through 4. In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle. Okay, so let's remember that. The time when kings go out to battle. And what is David? A king. David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. Are you guys seeing the issue already? Verse 2, It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house, 
that he saw from the roof of a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful. So where was, King, where was David supposed to be? Was that? Yeah, out to battle. And where is David currently? At home. And David sent and inquired about the woman. So he saw this beautiful woman bathing instead of just, oops, wasn't supposed to see that. Continues to follow into his temptation. And David sent and inquired about the woman. And one said, is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So David sent messengers and took her and she came to him. And he lay with her. Now she had been purifying herself from her uncleanness. Then she returned to her house. First Chronicles 20 verse 1 also talks about this. In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, Joab led out the army and ravaged the country of the Ammonites and came and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. So God had given a command to Israel. And to the kings of Israel that at this time, at this point in time in the spring, the kings go out and battle, including David. Did David obey? David did not obey. David decided to do his own thing and he stayed home. So that disobedience led to what? For him being home, getting up, walking around. That he saw Bathsheba. We connect that with Eve. What did Eve do? She saw the tree. She was tempted, enticed by it. Now David didn't repent from that. David didn't reject that. What did David do? He continued to pursue that temptation. He thought it was going to bring happiness. He thought it was going to bring satisfaction to his life. He thought he was king, so he can do whatever he wants. And he falls into sin. Satan began his tempting with Eve with a simple question. Did God actually say? We know what he actually said. Eve twisted the words. She did not trust God. She did not appreciate the provision that God had given her. She desired more, maybe out of selfishness or greed. She twisted, added to God's word. And that's why it's so important. And we see even in this how God is so graceful and merciful that he's left us his word for us to read, for us to understand. For us to know what God had said. At this moment, Eve relied on Adam. Adam failed her for not teaching her properly. But we have God's complete word at our hands. Disobedience comes from not knowing God's word, rejecting God's word, and twisting God's word. Ultimately, it just turns out to be disobedience to God. How can we easily remember what sin is? 
An easy definition is it is disobeying God in thought, in word, or in action. Doing what God says not to do and not doing what God says to do. How many of us have been guilty of this? How many of us have been guilty of disobeying God in all three, in thought, word, and action? We don't do what God says, and sometimes we do what He says not to do. It is told to us, though, that Adam was not deceived, as 1 Timothy 2.14 confirms. Again, the New Testament writers and people throughout the Bible always saw everything in Genesis as actual history. None of them ever doubted that it was actual history. None of them doubted that it was real. And so Paul is one of these People, he knows what Genesis says is true. And it's real, it's actual history. He says in 1 Timothy 2.14, And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. However, though, Adam was placed as the leader of creation, including the leader of Eve. And it wasn't Eve that was held responsible for the fall. It was Adam. The man. Adam and Eve, though, and all of humanity, including you and I, at that moment became separated from God. Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Adam and Eve turned away from depending on God, trusting in God, being satisfied with all that God had given them. God had given them a perfect creation. Not only that, but they turned away from God being the one to determine the standard of right and wrong to wanting to decide for themselves what was right and wrong. Sin is disobedience to God. It tempts us to reject what God has said, what God has provided, and it wants to turn you and me into the ones that decide what is right and wrong. For our second point, and this is a crucial part of sin, is that it separates us from God. The consequences for disobeying God, as Genesis 2.17 said, But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat it you shall surely die. Satan is going to convince you or want to convince you that's not true. Just as he tried it with Eve, says, you're not going to die. God is just lying. He wants to just scare you. We see that alive in our society. There's nothing after death. There's reincarnation. After you die, you will have an opportunity, though, to try to make things right with God. God says that if we die... 
without his son will endure eternal torment. Now you may be asking yourself, well, how did Eve and Adam keep talking after they sinned? I thought they were supposed to die. We know that they immediately died spiritually. They became ashamed of each other and sought to hide themselves from God. That relationship, perfect relationship they had with God, was severed, was broken. Not just that, but the relationship they had between one another also severed. It was also broken. They were initially naked together and there was no shame. After they sinned, they felt shame. They tried to cover themselves. But worse is they try to hide from God because they've realized they have sinned. Genesis verse Uh, Chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord, of the Lord God, among the trees of the garden. They died spiritually. They no longer could face God. They were ashamed. There was a separation now between God and man. So did God lie? No. They surely did die. And eventually they would also physically die. If you remember in the first two chapters, there's no mention of death. No animal has been killed. No human has been killed. Everything is in perfect harmony. Remember, the humans were given the trees and the fruits to eat, so they didn't have to kill the animals to eat. Then in Genesis 5.5, the promise made to Adam that he will surely die comes to pass. Thus all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. And as you read the whole chapter, after it mentions every person, you will notice, and he died, and he died, and he died, and he died. The initial plan was not death. The design was not death. It was perfect communion with God. We were creating God's image to reflect His character, But with sin now, we try to live for ourselves. The relationship with God is broken, and at times we may be afraid to be close to God. Just as Adam and Eve hid from God, there may be some of you in here trying to hide from God because you are ashamed of the sin in your life. And that is a normal reaction to our sin. We want to hide from God. Because if we go to God, then our sin will be exposed. We may be ashamed. We may be embarrassed. But God knows it. The question is, how are you going to react when your sin is exposed? We get a terrible example of this through Adam and Eve. 
When confronted with their sin, neither Adam or Eve confessed their sin. Genesis 3, 9. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you, he being Adam, of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, God speaking, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And some of us, when we're confronted with our sin, the, the question is, have you sinned, right? That's what God is saying here. Have you sinned? Have you disobeyed me? How do we react to that when we're confronted with our sin? The correct reaction would be, yes, Lord, I have sinned. Please forgive me. Adam, however, being clever, said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. At one point, this woman was the cause of poetry in Adam's life, and now he looks to hide behind her. I didn't sin. I was made to sin, God. Surely you understand. How many times have we used that excuse? It wasn't my fault. It was peer pressure. Or I had to. Again, we sin because we think it will bring more happiness. Genesis 3.13, Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? And the woman said, yep, Lord, I sinned. Nope. The serpent deceived me and I ate. Not my fault. It was a serpent. How many of us try to blame others for our sin and disobedience? You guys have little siblings. At one time you were a little sibling. It was never your fault. It was somebody else's fault. Or you had to punch your sibling because they just got you so mad, right? Your mom, your dad asked you, why did you hit your brother? I had to. He did not want to leave me alone. Rarely, I think, do we hear, yeah, mom, dad, I was wrong for punching my brother. I know that wasn't my answer. I always had a good reason to sin. At that moment, I didn't know it was sin. But I always had a good reason to disobey my parents. The rules were clear. Do not hit your brother. God's command was clear. Do not eat of this tree. But sin and disobedience causes us to be separate from God and try to shield ourselves from blame of sin. It's important to remember, Eve is not credited for sinning and causing the fall of mankind. Adam is. But yet, both of them, both of them were cursed. And through them, we are all cursed as humans. And because of that, in point three, Sin is punished 
and paid for. As we read earlier, God is a God of justice. He is a just God, perfectly just. But he's also a God of love. He's a good God. He must punish disobedience and sin. If he didn't, would you consider God a just God if he didn't punish sin? If a judge was proceeding over a murder trial and the person comes and says, Hey, judge, yep, I did it. This is how I did it. I used these things. This is how long I tried to hide it. See, I even took pictures. Look, I have recorded video of what I did, judge. All these people saw me do it. And the judge goes, that's really interesting. Innocent. How many of you would be okay with that? Only three of you would not be okay with that. The rest of you are like, as long as it's not me. I don't think any of us would be okay with that. What would we think of that judge? He's corrupt. He's paid for. He's unjust. Get him off the bench. Have him killed. And so a good judge and a just God must punish sin. Must punish the criminal. This punishment that God instills in humanity and Adam and Eve and the rest of humanity and the serpent, Satan, this is commonly known as the curse. This is when God declares the evil that would be felt by Satan, the man and woman, and all of creation as a result of sin. What is amazing, though, is that even through this curse, we can see God displaying His grace. God first curses a serpent and the animal, Satan himself. Genesis 3.14, The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. Cursing the animal. And talking to Satan, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, the offspring of the woman, and you shall bruise his heel. The curse affects mankind because the children of Satan and the children of the woman would be enemies. There would be enmity between the two. So who are the children of Satan then? John 8, 44. You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. From Genesis all the way till 2023, this remains true of Satan. He is a father of lies. He is a murderer. He is like a roaring lion seeking to whom he will devour. And his children follow in his footsteps. They are liars. They don't 
accept the truth. They reject the truth. Where do we find ultimate truth? Is in Scripture. They reject God's word. Again, punishment, curse. But we see God's grace. Whose fault was it that Adam and Eve sinned? Any guesses? Adam and Eve. Good answer. It was their fault. You pause and over there, you can hear Adam Mickey say, Oh, snap, shepherd boy. <laughs> <laughs> That's why what we all heard. That was perfect. All right. Not the shepherd boy. The shepherd boy did not sin, and it was not his fault. But it was Adam and Eve's fault. They sinned. But in verse 15, many consider this one of the, fir the first revelation of the gospel, the good news. That although it was mankind's fault for sinning, they disobeyed, they rejected God's word, they ate of the fruit that God told them not to eat. God himself was going to provide the solution, the victory over Satan. Although Satan would injure the Savior, as we know, Christ had to be crucified. But Jesus ultimately had the complete victory over sin and Satan. God didn't have to do this for us. But he demonstrates his grace that even though we sin, he provides the solution to our sin. We see that the woman is next cursed after the serpent and Satan and says, The greatest joy of the woman was to be bearing children and, and she was they were gonna be fruitful and multiply. But now, because of sin, she would continue to have the joy of bearing children. But now it would bring pain in giving birth and raising her kids. Verse 16 to the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you there's pain added to childbearing and if you ask any mother that's had a baby it's painful this remains true but something amazing about women giving birth is they endure the pain the discomfort hours and hours of labor and then they hold their baby and they're all like, I would do this again. <laughs> it brings joy to life. It brings joy to their life. Having children is a blessing from God. Showing still His grace and His mercy for humanity. Except now it would be painful. Raising kids is painful. As some of the parents with older kids can tell you. And some of you may attest to this as well as you 
being painful to raise. I'm sure if I ask your parents, they'll have a few things to say about that. But not just that, but the woman was also cursed with now not a willful submission to her husband, but now she would be continuously tempted to dominate over her husband. The word desire in verse 16 means to desire control. Same word used in Genesis 4, 7. If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Same word is used in those two instances. As a result of that, man would be tempted to rule over Eve in an unloving way and maybe a tyrannical way. There will still be children. And as 1 Timothy 2.15 says, Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. Woman will find joy in raising her children to fear the Lord. And the most beautiful part of this is that through the woman, the Savior will be born, would be born. God punishes sin. He punishes disobedience because he is just, but he continues to display his grace and his love. Although we sinned, he provides the solution to our sin. We've been separated from God, but he brings us near. And so the curse to the man is not work. Many people think that work is a curse, but work started in the garden when it was perfect and there was no sin. That is our duty as men is to work. But the curse is now that work was going to be hard and tough. Verse 17, And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So yes, again, man is cursed. You will work. You will still continue to work because that is what God designed you to do. But now the dirt, the ground will be tough to work. You will sweat. You will labor hard over it. And if we stop there, we can just say, man, God, that's really unfair. But are you able to pick God's grace out of here, God's mercy? What is God still doing, though? He is still allowing the fruit to come out of the ground. He is still providing the food for man to eat. Remember, Adam can't create food. If God decides to not let anything grow, nothing grows. 
God still continues to provide our food even to this day. But you must work hard at it. Now it costs more labor, more effort to do this work. And Adam understands this. He, he understands and he sees God's grace. He understands the promise that God made that the, through Eve and the descendants would come the Savior. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. So just as Adam and Eve sinned and brought sin into the world, we all are covered by this. God punishes the sin. God punishes the sinner because He is just, He is good. But also notice His grace and His mercy for us. He continues to provide the joy of childbearing, of raising a home, raising children that will fear the Lord and His knowledge. He still allows the men to work and labor, provide. But most importantly, God provides the Savior. In verse 15, we see that there was going to be a man, perfect, perfect, that was going to have victory over sin and victory over Satan. So that no longer you and I would be separated from God, but that we can be brought near through Jesus Christ. Students. There's no need for you to continue hiding from God. There's no need for you to run away from God. He's provided a way for you to be forgiven. It doesn't matter your sin. It doesn't matter the shame. Don't blame your circumstances. Don't blame the people around you. Don't blame the peer pressure. Take accountability for your sin and come to the Lord and repent. God had it planned and designed that this morning you would hear this. That you would turn to the Lord for salvation. He is full of grace. He is full of mercy. And even though he has to punish sin... He has made a way for you not to have to pay for it. Jesus, the perfect man, son of God, lived perfectly, upheld God's word perfectly. He died in the place of sinners. He took the punishment for your sin and my sin. Trust in Him. Put your faith in the perfect man, the Son of God, Jesus.
If not, sin will still be paid for, but it won't be by Jesus. You will have to endure an eternity of punishment to pay for your sin. We're offered a free gift through Christ. A price that has already been paid. Let us turn to him. Repent. Put your faith in him. And trust the perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Stop trusting in your own strength. Stop trusting in your own ability. Trust in the word of God. Obey him. Follow him. Come near to him. And accept the payment that Christ already made. So you don't have to pay for the sin in eternity. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you so much for this morning. Lord, we thank you for your word. The reminder, Lord, that sin separates us from God. It keeps us far. It brings shame. It brings a reaction to want to hide, to want to blame others, not take accountability. But Lord, we are all guilty of sinning against you. There's only one that never did, and that is your son, Jesus. Although you had to punish sin, because you are not a liar, you are just and you are good. We still see your grace and your mercy for us. That in that you provided the payment for the sin. You provided a way out. You provided a way for us to draw near to you. And that is through your son, Jesus. I pray, Lord, that if there are students here this morning, Lord, that are ashamed. That are hiding are attempting to hide from you, that you will convict them, touch their hearts, Lord. Humble them so that they may repent and give their lives to you. Help us all, Lord, trust in you and obey you better every day. That we may know your word, we would live your word, and to help us tell others about the good news that there is a Savior. We thank you, Lord, for the grace you show us and still being able to have children and being able to work. And that you continue to provide for us, Lord, even though we are the ones that sinned against you. Help us, Lord, be more appreciative of all that you give us. And Lord, help us come to you quickly when we do sin to seek repentance. We thank you, Lord, because you have made a way for us to be near to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.